And welcome on into the Check Your Brain podcast here, wherever you are listening to this. Here is H-E-R-E-N-H-E-A-R as well on the podcast platforms, all the major ones, as well as YouTube and Rumble. If you are a freeloader, that's fine. You can smash the subscribe button there, or you can just keep listening, and I'll post these on social media. Um, I'm also on Patreon, so if you're listening to this on Patreon, it means it's Monday. That is July the 10th, but it's going out for free on July 12th. So thank you for checking it out. Uh, Patreon.com slash Tony Mazur. For three bucks a month, you get, I was going to say unlimited. It can be 25 to 30 podcasts. That's pretty good, pretty good value if you ask me. If you're a bargain shopper, bargain podcast listener, you go check that out. Yes, patreon.com slash Tony Mazer. That is my logo there if you're watching on the video. But I want to thank you for checking out this show. My name is Tony Mazer. And today's podcast is, uh, we're gonna, it's a tribute podcast. It's a tribute to somebody that uh, I was really close with and a lot of people were close with, uh, a comedy club owner that's in my neck of the woods and somebody I've known for about 15 years for um uh he had just passed away last week and we had the funeral over the weekend i'll talk about him in a second i want to thank everybody who is listening that may have heard me on the opie radio podcast last week as well as stuttering john's show and i, I think i'm on stuttering john's enemies list because maybe somebody told him that i was trolling him the entire time and i've noticed this as as somebody who's worked in radio, who's worked in broadcasting, podcasting, comedy, you run into a lot of interesting people. And somebody like Stuttering John is some is, is an interesting guy. Maybe not for all the good reasons, but he's interesting. And interesting could be ambiguous. It's somebody, somebody or someone, like a, for a, a movie, for example, you say, boy, that show was, or a movie was interesting. Could be good, could be bad. Sometimes bad. It's like, ah, it was interesting. It was interesting, good, bad, it's interesting. But there's interesting, bad, and there's interesting, good. And I want to talk about this gentleman right now that I'm going to put the uh, the card up there. Boutros Yusuf Barakat. Pete. I don't know where Pete came from, but uh, Pete from the Funny Stop, the comedy club, he was an interesting person. We lost him last week. He was a... Uh, comedy club owner and manager and booker and all that for 30 plus years being him and his brother solely owned or well, they own the comedy club, the funny stuff since 2000, but they had been running it and it kind of in charge since the eighties. And um, I have known Pete since 2008. And it was uh there was a rough phone call that I heard on Sunday morning that he was going on life support. And it was just a matter of time. And he uh, then I got the call on Monday that he did pass and we we're waiting for somebody in the family to post it where we're not going to jump the gun. Apparently, there was a couple of people who did jump the gun and uh, they were told to take stuff down and wait for his brother, Chef Tony, to post something. And when he did, then all of us did, which was Wednesday. And then there was a story that was in uh, our local ABC affiliate that we put up there. I may or may, not, may, may, or may not have had something to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> the um I'll, I'll play that here in just a little bit but uh you know it was it was really sad and the reason for it being sad is that pete was not your typical comedy club owner or anybody involved in comedy that's why i say use the word interesting because it's hard to describe somebody like this pete yelled a lot he was very boisterous but yelling is not necessarily out of anger sometimes you yell to get your point across and other times you just yell because I don't know, there's a switch that's, that's turned on inside your brain that you just start yelling that you would hear this yelling, but it's not like he's yelling at somebody and being angry at them. It's he's yelling. Cause that's what he is. It's like, Oh, Pete's yelling again. I don't know how many people you have in your life that are like that. I know that now that Pete's gone, I can't think of anybody who's going to be like that or like him that uh, we're, we're, we're going to be missing. Um, I want to take a step back before I talk a little bit more about, well, no, I, you know, I, I could actually talk about Pete really quick because I, getting to know him, especially in the last decade since I've been doing comedy and knowing what a family man he, he is. And he was, uh, coming over from Lebanon in 1979, he and his brother, they, I mean, they fought in the wars over there. They came to America. It's the true American story, a success story of somebody that 
comes from virtually nothing and becomes a successful business owner and very well respected and his wake and funeral are very well attended by people, whether it's family and friends, acquaintances. And I mean, so many people really poured their hearts out and were, were very sad when they heard the news last week that he had passed. And being a, a I've never seen anybody that was more proud of his kids. Even my own father wasn't as proud of me. <laughs> Not saying much, but my I've never seen somebody that was so proud of his kids. And you know, he left leaves behind a beautiful wife and Nadal and his two kids. And one of his kids being a, a football player plays semi-pro football. And every time I'd see him, he'd pull his phone out, go on YouTube and post, put, has a picture of like his highlights, his son's highlights and saying, look at he, he makes a tackle over here. Look, he's, he's completely unblocked. And then there's another one that the, the two, two, two guys trying to block him and he swerves around him and he makes the sack. And he just it oozed from him how proud he was of his kids. And now those kids on, you know, are in their 20s and they don't have a father right now. And I like I can't even imagine that right now uh, for anybody who loses a, a parent at that age. It's, it just has to be devastating. Um, and and for somebody that was that proud of his kids, that they'll they'll can hopefully continue his legacy, um, you know, whatever legacy that is. Um, of just being very well respected. So, uh, but like I, I got invited to, to parties and to a lot of events. He put me on stage when, and he really was giving me stage time and I probably didn't even earn it at that time. I wasn't really that good at stand up at the beginning, but he was giving me stage time. I was uh, in the amateur competition. I was trying to find a way to, uh, I was going through a breakup. I was going through a, a possible career change back in 2014. And I'm trying to figure out what it is I wanted to do. And knowing full well that I could get stage time at a comedy club that's about half hour away from me. And I can go down there. And as long as I'm clean and I do five minutes and possibly bring people into the crowd to cheer me on, then that's all you needed for the amateur contest. That was great. Pete would always say, bring five people, five minutes, don't be dirty. And it's a great exercise if you're a young comedian to go up there and because it's it's and I'm going to use some language here because it's, it's I'm either going to do it in the Pete voice or I'm going to just kind of quoting. But it's so easy if you're a stand up comedian to go up there and say, fuck this and fuck, 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 fuck. Sure, it's easy enough, but it's a crutch and you want to get an opportunity to do Stand up where you're not leaning on these crutches of dropping F-bombs or GD or whatever the case that you actually have to write some material. And it was a great exercise early on. So, honestly, it's an exercise I think a lot of comedians should be doing, even if you're seasoned, is can you write material that's not dirty, that's a couple of minutes and that you're not just dropping F-bombs frivolously? And he said that don't, don't go up there. And if you are, if you do drop an F-bomb or you're too dirty, they're going to cut your mic. And I've seen it happen before. Guys go up there and they say, well, shit and fuck. And it, Mike gets cut next act. You get the hook. It's the old vaudeville hook. Uh, it was a great exercise. And I, I had the opportunity to do that. Eventually did get back into radio. And Pete was an old school guy. He understood promotion when it came to getting on the radio, talking about his club and his acts that he was booking in town. So I was a good asset. And, you know, yeah. Uh, did I get undeserved stage time because I was uh, I could promote his club on the radio? Sure. I'm not I'm not denying that. <laughs> it's quid pro quo. I got stage time. He got publicity. But at the same time, we also became friends. I be, it really was family. And uh, one of the bartenders there, Nick. He actually said that, uh, which it, it kind of touched me, he said that I was one of Pete's favorites. Weirdly enough, I, he could say that to everybody, but it was nice to hear. So let me just go back in time. I'm going to share the screen a little bit about the funny stop and about comedy in general and comedy clubs. So this is the stage when you've heard myself or other comedians talk about the funny stop. It's not your improv. It's not your funny bone. It's not your, uh, it's, it's not the uh, you know, one of these major comedy store type of or or a chain like a comedy zone that you would see throughout the South. It's a local comedy club that's not even in Cleveland. It's not even in Akron. It's just north of it in a suburb called Cuyahoga Falls. 
which is the home of, uh, I think the, the, the two things that are mentioned about Cuyahoga Falls are, uh, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Chrissy Hine mentions it in My City Was Gone, from Seneca to Cuyahoga Falls. And then in Tommy Boy, the uh, Tommy's girlfriend was taking a flight and she had a layover. She needed to get to Cuyahoga Falls, but had a layover in Columbus. I'm like, that's impossible. You're going from an airport in Sandusky to fly to Columbus for a layover that you're going to have in Cuyahoga Falls where there is no airport. <laughs> that's about it. And then third is the funny stop, which originally was hilarities down the street. That opened sometime in the 1980s. It burned down in 2004. Pete and Tony had to pivot and found a, a space that was just a couple of blocks up the street, which is now a shopping center that has a Goodwill, a, uh, a Dollar General, a glass store, a, a card, like comic book store, and a bar, like a very seedy bar that's down the street from one of the final two remaining Arthur Treacher's locations. So this is it. It's a stage. It's a microphone and there's a backdrop and there's seats. It's about it. No frills, no nonsense. And not saying that it's a dump because there's a difference between places that are a dump and places that are just, look, this is no nonsense. What did we come here? We came here to laugh. We're not here for high ceilings, for really nice graphics. And, you know, they play that video. They pull the projection screen. They talk about the acts and uh, their appearances on Comedy Central's like Premium Blend or on Joe Rogan's podcast talking about the club. It's no, it's it's just a no nonsense comedy club. Now, if you think about it, comedy clubs have not been around all that long. The original comedy club, what they say, the oldest one opened in, in 1960 in Pasadena, California, the Ice House. I've been to the Ice House. I guess since COVID that they've upgraded it, but I've been to the old one. I've been, to, uh, I actually performed there and uh, it was an open mic. So let, let's not think that uh, they were booking Tony Mazur at the ice house in Pasadena. It was an open mic, but I went there. Um, so if you think about it, a comedy club is a relatively new phenomenon uh, from the sixties. And then eventually by the seventies, when Johnny Carson moved out to, uh, to Burbank, and a lot of comics decide to follow him out there as well as Bud Friedman and uh, Sammy and Mitzi Shore with the comedy store, the former Ciro's. So now the comedy boom was beginning in Los Angeles as opposed to New York. And you could also go out there. You don't have to worry about snow and you know, blustery conditions. You can get a tan and then you try to get your development deal and go up on stage with the comedy store in the belly room or the OR, the main room. And that's kind of what ended up popping up through the 70s and into the 80s, which led to the comedy boom. And here on this uh, Medium article, it says, um, in the 1970s, stand-up comedy became a legitimate art form following a handful of comedy clubs open in the 70s. Then between 1978 and 1988, over 300 comedy clubs opened up across the U.S., following a large number of comedians that became popular in the 1980s. As summarized by blah, 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 this expansion uh, brought new forms of stand-up comedy to the explosion of sitcoms, late-night talk shows, and variety of shows uh, featuring all comedians. The unbelievable success of stand-up comedy in the 1980s meant only one thing. Sooner or later, the bubble had to burst. Though comedy went out on top at the end of the decade, it was only a matter of time before overexposure led to the collapse. And that's kind of what happened was because of HBO and Showtime and the Robert Klein specials, Rodney Dangerfield specials, that people wanted to go to a comedy club until they realized, oh, hey, I have cable TV. I'm spending all this money. And now we actually have full channels dedicated to comedy. Why do I need to go out? But in the thick of the comedy boom of the 1980s, even like major cities had several, and I mean several comedy clubs to choose from. Your small, like medium to smaller markets would have two or three comedy clubs, maybe more. And in Northeast Ohio, we had a bunch of them. I, I know in Cleveland, we had the Cleveland Comedy Connection, Cleveland Comedy Club, It's Comedy. We had Hilarities, which was in Cuyahoga Falls, which was what became the funny stop. Uh, and then there were several other comedy clubs that popped up. Now, they didn't last long. And a lot of these smaller comedy clubs or ones that were non-chains, in a lot of ways became drug dens where guys would get paid in white instead of green, shall we say. They operated in the red. They paid in white as opposed to green. And a lot of them closed up. It was around 1992 that they said that the if you want to talk about the comedy boom bursting, the bubble, it burst around the early 90s, and 
those comedy clubs started closing and the ones that did stay open were your improvs, were your funny bones, were your comedy connections and your comedy zones. And they were very corporate. They were like House of Blues. I've mentioned it before about how House of Blues tried to make the grittiness of a CBGBs or like one of these New York City punk clubs from the 70s and 80s. But it's like it's 2005 and we're at a House of Blues. You're trying to make it gritty. It's like this is the most corporate forced grittiness, but through the lens of corporate. And that's what a lot of funny bones. No offense to them, but. I've said on one of the podcasts that performing at the Toledo Funny Bone was like being at the Cheesecake Factory. It actually looks like a Cheesecake Factory inside, and it's above a Fat Fish Blue, if you remember that restaurant. The uh, the boom eventually had to burst, but there were some comedy clubs that hung around, and uh, a comedian, Charlie Weiner actually said this recently, that during the boom and you had your local comedians – you had some of these guys who still had personality. And one of them was Pete from the funny stuff, from hilarities. And that he would call you, he would try to, he would book you. He would even heckle you on stage. And you actually had somebody who had a personality that you would go up there and he'd be, you could say something and he would take the microphone, like not from you, but like from the back of the room and go like, fuck you, uh, the greatest comedy club in the country. Paulie Shore tells me he's the best comedy club and best comedy club owner. And frequent, I, the fact that I'm going to miss him yelling, fuck you, Tony Mazur, is, is still going to put a smile on my face the rest of my life. Every time I hear it, every time I go to that club, I'm going to miss the fact that I'm not going to hear, fuck you, Tony Mazur. It's just, re- it's it's sad. But, um, I mean, a lot of great Pete stories that, that have come in. Uh, one of my favorites, because you talk about his accent. I mean, the guy's been here for over 40 years. But his accent sounded like he just got off the boat from Lebanon. <laughs> just <laughs> he just came came over here last week, and he still sounded like it, just like with broken English. And um, that was kind of his charm. Some days you can understand him a little better. Other times it was really thick. I'm like, wait, can you what? What's that? Can you repeat, please? Por favor, repeat on. Uh, he. It, it was there was a classic story of uh, Otto Peterson, who was a, a ventriloquist comedian who died back in 2014. And he was one of those dirty ventriloquists who perform in Central Park or on the ferry boats. And, you know, he got there's some guy who actually was on PCP and stabbed the puppet, not Otto, but stabbed the puppet. I don't know why. I think he thought the puppet was like a real person was talking to him. And Otto was kind of because this is what's interesting about our comedy scene that we have in Northeast Ohio is we have three comedy clubs. Hilarities is a comedy club. That's the pipeline between the comedy seller and the comedy store. The improv is more urban acts like Godfrey, Bruce, Bruce, earthquake, miss Pat. And the funny stuff kind of took the comics that used to perform those venues and got phased out. And he would bring the, the rich bosses, the Jim Florentines. And there's no, no offense. I'm not saying phased out in a negative way. It's just, it, they're not the hot item of the time, so therefore we will bring the Island of Misfit Toys. We're the Island of Misfit Toys, so come on down to Cuyahoga Falls instead. So Jim Florentine gave Pete uh, Otto Peterson's number, and Pete calls Otto. This is pr- I God. This had to have been around like maybe 2013. Might have been actually earlier than that. And said uh, so. Pete calls and goes. Hello, Otto. This is Pete from Funny Stop, Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. Got your number from Jim Florentine. And and Otto's like, is this a prank? Who's on here? Get get out. Get Stop. Don't call me ever again. Whatever. And he hangs up. So Pete calls back and goes, nobody fucking hang up on me. You never work my comedy club ever again. Fuck you. And he never worked again because Otto died in 2014. So it's kind of sad, but it was also one of the funniest stories I'd ever heard. As far as that goes, but that's just that's just who he was, and Pete gave a home to these co- comedians that weren't getting booked at the Funny Bones anymore, and it was it was great. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just having an opportunity to talk to Pete and, and and get to know him and get to know the family, and, and then getting on stage. I mean, there were a lot of great memories and a lot of great shows that that Pete would book. I'll give you a perfect example. I'm gonna sh- uh, I got share this screen here da, 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 da. sorry i'm doing this on the fly i don't have a producer i'm my own producer 
It's from my Facebook page. So when Gallagher came to town, so Pete, here's the here's the one thing about Pete with the funny stuff. When he started, I got to know him in 2008 when I was working in an internet station. And we would have his comics that were performing there that weekend call into our show every Thursday. And I eventually got to know him when I started doing stand-up. And then when I got back into radio, I was an asset of getting a lot of the comics on the radio. So every time I've gone there, I've never had to pay. No matter who the act was, it could be like bigger acts. Like he's had TJ Miller. He's had Pauly Shore there. And I've never had to pay ever. He and in fact, he encourages the comedians to go there. He's not going to charge you. He wants you to go there to 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 mingle, to hang out near the bar area and talk to the other comics, but also to learn. It really was like a nice learning experience. You would go there because you would see a comedian and maybe you would get inspired to start writing. Maybe you want to get back on stage and perform um, that. It really was like going to a to see a lecture for from a college. And so every time I had gone there, I had never once pulled my wallet out to go see a show until Gallagher. Now, I'm a year into doing comedy at this point, and Pete books Gallagher. Now, here's a quick Gallagher story before I continue on about it. Gallagher was performing at, it was either called JR's or Junior's. I don't remember. I just know it was a JR up in Erie. And he is probably somewhat apocryphal, but I know this is what the story was. The owner had Gallagher booked, let's say, for example, because it's early. It's let's say he's booked for the first week of August. And today I'm recording this July 10th. So Gallagher, Leo Gallagher, not Gallagher, too, but the actual Gallagher would call up and say, like, hey, just wondering if uh, I'm uh, going to be performed still on at the, the club in Erie. Yeah, yeah, no, we've got you. We're looking forward to it. It's going to be a great time. It's like, well, you guys got the comedy condo or a hotel or something. They're like, yeah, we got the comedy condo. It's like kind of a house or whatever. It's like, oh, y'all be able to stay there. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, well, you you think I could come a little bit early? Like early, like, yeah, that's fine. I mean, we'll probably have some comics staying there and everything like that, but you can come in early. He's like, you mind if I come tomorrow? Meaning Gallagher would be at this comedy condo for several weeks, like like basically a month. So are you homeless? What's going on here? Are you sleeping in your car? How are you getting there? How do you do you have any money? Apparently Gallagher was a day trader too. So he either had no money or he had a lot of money stored away somewhere. And all his heart attacks, I guess they said Gallagher was like a etch-a-sketch, that he had several heart attacks and all these health scares that him jumping on a large couch on a HBO special in 1981 and made a ton of money and was all over the place. He has no recollection. You can show him video and photos and be like, yeah, I'll, I believe you. It's me, but I, I don't remember that. It was an etch sketch. He doesn't remember any of that. So Pete booked, let's see, what is this? March 7th, 2015. So yeah, he booked Gallagher in March of 2015. Again, I never once pulled my wallet out before then or since to go see an act. And he's had some pretty cool acts that have come through there. But he charged me 30 bucks because he's paying through the nose to get Gallagher at this show. So in this uh, photo, I have these on uh, on my Facebook page. This is the view that I saw when I walked in. Now, my buddy says, you want to go see Gallagher this weekend? I said, yes. So what show? I said, you know me, I love going to a late show. Early shows... My rule of thumb when it comes to an early show is it's too tight. It's so tight. I don't want to say it's too tight. It's a great show, but it's tight. I am a comedy fan. I'm a fan of comedians, and I like to see them work when they don't necessarily have a time crunch and you're dealing with drunks or stoners or hecklers or whatever the case is. I like to see them work and try different stuff at a late show as opposed to an early show where you got to break down tables and get ready for show number two. So there's a quicker turnaround. So I said, let's go to the late show. And I've seen, I, everybody knows about the watermelons and everything that Gallagher smashed over the years. At this time, Pete used to have two shows. It was an eight o'clock and a 1030, which we had to kind of put it in his ear. You say 1030 is way too late. We're not New York City. We're not Sunset Strip. We're Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. At 1030, everyone's just like, they're dead. They've been out drinking. They've been at the bars for a couple of hours before that. They're not really interested in going to a comedy club and being patient 
for the next hour and a half to two hours. As the clock strikes midnight, they're getting a little antsy. They want to go somewhere. They want to dance. They want to do karaoke. They want to, I don't know, fight people. <laughs> they want to piss in the parking lot. Whatever they want to do. They don't. It's like, can we make the hours a little bit? So they eventually shifted to 7.30 and 9.30, which is much better. But this was still when it was 8 and 10.30. So the 8 o'clock show, I said, well, how about we get there about like 10.15 and that way the show starts around 10 30 10 35 and we'll be there enough to we can order a drink and get ready get our seats for this gallagher show i walk in pete's like sorry tony uh 30 i'm like oh fuck i guess i have to well i have 30 i do i have 40 bucks so here's here's 40 give me 10 i'll buy it i'll get two drinks really quick I'm like wow i've never been charged and my buddy anthony had never been charged before <laughs> ever and had to had to pay that night so we walk in and this was the scene that we have which is plastic all over the funny stop the entire crew of the funny stop plus others pitching in to break down the tables again this is 10 15 this should have been done by 9 45 meaning the show just ended we're like what's going on so it's taking forever to get the cake the icing, the fruit, everything that squirted the, the, the flour and the baking powder and everything that was all over the place to be cleaned up for this second show. Now, I think a lot of people know how a comedy show goes, where even if you just have the three comics, the MC, the feature, and the headliner, it's usually the MC goes up and does about 10 minutes. The feature does 15 to 25, and the headliner does at least 45. So on this particular night, for show two, it's the MC basically goes up and does, again, remember, 10 minutes. MC goes like this. Hi, I'm the MC. Welcome to the funny stop. Uh, hey, uh, you know, make sure you tip your servers, everything. Are you ready for your first act? I'm like, that was 30 seconds he's up there. Then the feature goes up there and says, hi, everybody, I'm the feature act. Here's a dick joke, and here's a second dick joke. Thanks, everybody. I'm the feature act. Are you ready for your headliner? Like that was four minutes. So basically it's five minutes for the first two acts. And it's, and by the way, the show was delayed an hour. So it's 1135 right now. So Gallagher comes on stage. It's like, you know him, you remember his Showtime and HBO specials. Give it up for the one, the only Gallagher. He comes on stage. So here he is on stage. He's got his uh, somewhere as the sledgeomatic, which is the mallet that he used for his fake infomercial thing where he smashed everything. And this is the platform that he used that he autographed. And he's up on stage telling some jokes. Yes, he's he, and he's got like this fake rim shot thing that's attached to his mic. It's like near the microphone where he does his jokes. And they're like really bad, outdated jokes. Because I'm on YouTube, I'm not going to say the word. Uh, on my Patreon, I, I would just out of context, but I'm not going to right now. But it was a certain word that people used to call your friends when they weren't being. It's like, it's like, hey, we're going to the we're going to the bar tonight. You want to go? It's like, ah, man, I, I don't feel like it. What are you? Uh, and it's a slur used for gay people that starts with an F. But he wasn't using it in the slur for gay people. He was just using it how people did in the 1980s, which means that Gallagher was somehow thought 2015 was still the 1980s. So he's up on stage, says he's doing corny one liners and uh, he's using a knife as a drumstick and everything. Eventually, he calls people on stage and it's just it's taking forever. It's now 1245. We're getting our checks. So we're so they're cashing out and the servers are coming around when like getting our cards and everything, collecting our tabs. Gallagher doesn't want to get off stage. And so Pete finally goes up to the microphone and says, Gallagher, get the fuck off the, the stage. It's time to go. Time to go. And people are leaving because he's using that certain F word and it's it's upsetting people. And they're like, yeah, this is, this is not really that good, is it? I thought Gallagher was going to be funnier. So they start leaving. So by the time the end of the show, there's probably 20 people in a venue that it holds like 150. So Gallagher doesn't want to come off stage. He's like, I'm not coming off this stage. I refuse to come off stage. Gallagher, get the fuck off the stage. He's like, I'll buy drinks for everybody in here. Well, after that, Pete's like, Ugh, all right. Well, look, what is a comedy club? A comedy club is a bar 
with a stage and a microphone. It's a glorified bar. So if Gallagher says, I'm going to buy a drink for everybody in this club who's still here, you kind of have to. And he pulls out this wad of cash. I mean, this like freeway Rick Ross style wad of cash and puts it out there and buys everyone a drink. So I got a Long Island iced tea. My joke was that if a cop pulled me over and says, sir, have you been drinking tonight? And I'd say, I'm sorry to respond to your question with another question, but do you remember Gallagher in the 1980s? (laughs) He's up there for so long. It was two plus hours and he still hadn't smashed anything. Eventually he did smash things, but yeah, he's taking his shirt off. He brings a guy up on stage, takes his shirt off. He brings other people and he's smashing cakes because at this point in his life, he couldn't have the he didn't have the strength to smash a watermelon he had to smash cakes or fruits or pies or something like that that's what ended up happening so there's the end of the show you have pie tins you have other fruit that he got at the grocery store there was flour all over the place there's a mug root beer bottle and two liter it just it was a mess so afterward, there's Pete with my buddy Anthony, who's sweating, or I don't know, maybe his shirt stained. I don't know. <laughs> and then there's Gallagher. That's the Gallagher. So I see Gallagher. Okay, well, I'll get to that here in a second. So it's my turn to meet Gallagher. Now, Gallagher takes this jacket off, and he's like, well, I'm shirtless. Why don't you take your shirt off? And I'm like, okay, sure. So I took my shirt off. I was actually in much worse shape back then than I am now. I was actually trying to gain weight because I was wanting to get into a mosh pit for Slipknot. And here I am with the sledge It's my classic picture with Gallagher, who passed away last year. Me and Gallagher. Me smashing, trying to smash Gallagher over the head with the sledge Yeah. So getting back to Pete. The next day, actually, no, two days later. So I'm like, all right, I'm glad I saw Gallagher. I have stuff going on. It was like my birthday week and we were going out for my birthday. The next day after that, I saw a post on Facebook that wasn't from Pete that said, we want to apologize. Our headliner this weekend was very unprofessional. He won't be back at our club and we will offer refunds to people who attended the Saturday shows. I'm like, "Uh oh, what happened? What happened here at this at this show? Come to find out. Before the first show on Saturday. Gallagher walks into the back room of the funny stop and talks and he sees that uh, what they're making, you know, it's a comedy club. So you're not getting the healthiest food in the world. And Gallagher goes up to one of Pete's sons and says, what, what, what are you, what is that? And he's like, it's chicken fingers. It's like, you're serving death to people. At this point, Gallagher was, I think, a vegan or vegetarian, and he was trying to be a a little bit more health conscious. So when he sees fattening fried foods like mozzarella sticks and uh, chicken fingers, he's now saying you're serving death to people. And Pete got really upset by that by going, you don't talk to my son like that. You get the fuck out of this club. Gallagher, he banned. He never work in this club again. And I guess like halfway during the show, somebody like said something and thought he thought he was being heckled and he stormed off the stage like, ah, this is unprofessional. I'm never working in this venue and never did see Gallagher again. And it's funny because every time I saw Pete after that, I'd say, well, you know, say whatever you want about so-and-so who's on stage. At least he's not Gallagher. And till the probably the day he died, he's like, fuck Gallagher. Gallagher banned from the comedy club. He never coming back. And he didn't. (laughs) It's just... It was, I mean, the, the memories of seeing Pete, because because that, that's the difference. A lot of comics would see Pete at the comedy club, but wouldn't see him when I would bright and early in the morning at 730 in the morning, bringing certain com- comedians to the club. This this was the picture that uh, a lot of people started sharing this. This was the Pete roast in 2016. And this like was like a viral picture. I didn't think that when I took this, it was going to be used as part of his eulogy. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I had the opportunity to be there for, for him. Try to book a lot of his comics when I was working in radio here. Dave Landau, uh, Dave Landau again. I think those are up there because of the algorithm, because it got a lot of retweets and likes. We did bring 
the comedians of the compound to the funny stop. Uh, we're supposed to do it twice, but uh, we did it once. The, the second time is what partially cost my radio job. But this first time, this is a great example of, oh, wait, no, I didn't share the screen. Sorry, folks. I apologize. I said I was going to show something. Yeah, that's, there's Pete. There's the picture. I apologize. I'm, I'm dropping the ball here, ladies and germs. There's Pete at his roast, the man of the hour, and telling everybody, fuck you, fuck Judd Zumach, fuck Bill Squider, and fuck everybody. <laughs> fuck Basil. Yeah, Dave Landau uh, had him on my radio show a bunch of times back in the day. And uh, yeah, this was uh, with Aaron Berg, Gino, and Anthony Cumia, all, all hanging out at the cigar shop that's also owned by Tony, who owns the comedy club. I loved getting an opportunity to have Aaron Berg at the club. So I talked to Aaron in 2018 and I said, I would love for you to go to the funny stop. And we talked again in 2019 and said, we'd love to, I, I, I think this would be a great club just for you to be at. Cause I think you'd love Pete. I think you'd love Tony. I think you'd love uh, his, Pete's wife, Nadal and the family and the family atmosphere. And you'd also love the fact that there's a cigar shop down the street and Aaron loves his cigars. So, um, eventually in 2019, uh, I, I talked to Aaron in White Plains, New York, and he said, what's Pete's number? I'd love to get a chance to talk to him because I, I just, I was talking to TJ Miller today. He said, oh, you'll love Pete. And I, I gave him the number and we're trying to book it. And of course, COVID happens. So the club was shut down for a couple of months, honestly, way sooner. They reopened way sooner. I think it was in like late May. He was able to get the comedy club up and going again as opposed to a lot of other like improvs and funny bones that were closed for much of 2020. So eventually by 2021, Aaron Berg did come to the funny stop and loved it. He loved everything about it. Couldn't wait to get him back, back again. And ever since then, he's been back several times. And so I, I was reaching out to him. He brought Louis J Gomez there last year. I am MC or actually earlier this year. And I emceed that, but it was so much fun having someone like Aaron who who really cared about that family. He loved the atmosphere. It was just, again, no nonsense. It was perfect. It's a perfect type of comedy club to have. Yeah, more Landau stuff. I did uh, one of my first uh, MC weekends. I did with Dustin Diamond, Screech. I did uh, hung out with him a bunch of times. Screech was misunderstood. I'll, I'll say that. He loved coming. It's another one that Pete always booked, and he loved Pete. So, um had the opportunity to do that. The Kevin Brennan weekend was hilarious because I, I, Kevin doesn't do much comedy right now, but I've always said that Kevin is a great comedian. He's got a solid 45. I don't know how much more after that, but he has a solid 45 and he was great that weekend. And <laughs> second show on Saturday, I just got hammered. I got hammered and I just went up there on the microphone, just, just cracked any inappropriate joke I can get. I'm like, yeah, I just had a couple of drinks. It's okay. Yeah, there's me and Louis J. Gomez and Aaron Berg after that weekend. Tim Allen got was one of the first comedy clubs that booked him was the one that Pete and Tony and uh, Nick Costas helped run. I'm just going through my old pictures here on uh, Twitter right now. Julie McCullough from uh, Mike Seaver's girlfriend from growing pains he loved her because of course she was in playboy same with kate, kate quigley um yeah more landau yeah kumian berg that's the weekend that did not happen don jameson was a favorite jimmy walker now that was one that uh pete loved having jimmy jj walker and so this was at my old radio studio and jimmy just wouldn't stay every other word was fucked it's like I fucking worked with fucking Leno and fucking Letterman and fucking Jack fucking Handy. And I'm like, I hope he's not going to curse when he goes on the radio. And he didn't. He was great. But it was so much fun. Bob Levy. This is actually one of my first weeks working in at the radio station. I had Bob Levy up there. Uh, yeah, there's Gallagher again and me and Screech and me and Gallagher again. Bonnie McFarlane at the club. That's Rich Voss's wife. She's funnier than Voss. <laughs> speaking of Voss, there he is again uh me on stage there's um that's gemini who had his very racially insensitive puppet that they cut out of the tv broadcast of that <laughs> greg morton carlos mencia had him on the radio station and he was great i got done at the club i was uh i actually i worked with 
Carlos and he comes up and I don't know, I did some really filthy materials like that's a buzzy shit, man. That's buzzy shit. But he liked it. I think Mencia is coming back up. Yeah, me and Voss again. So, yeah, no, it's having that opportunity to be at an actual comedy club with an actual paid audience was so beneficial for me as opposed to I can, I can go to a corner bar and just go up there with other comics and they're not going to laugh at other comics, especially if they don't know you. I got phone face, whether they're looking at their material on their phone or they're just scrolling through social media. And it was it was nice to have some place to go that's not far away that I can go up there and work my material out in front of an actual audience. It's so more way more beneficial. That's why guys like Landau got their start there. Uh, first headlining gig, Tammy Pescatelli. So many people have come through there and had so much loyalty. I mean, for God's sake, Dave Landau is selling out theaters at this point. He went from being fairly obscure and then getting on the radar of Anthony Cumia, going to his network and then being a part of Louder with Crowder for a couple of years and then now doing his stuff with The Blaze. I mean, Landau's killing it, but he's always said Pete was one of the first people to put me on stage uh, as a headliner out of town. He will always be loyal to him. I've done shows with Dave where it's he's doing the check spot on amateur night on a Tuesday in front of six people. And then the last couple of times Dave has been here, there's a line out the door, out the other door, and into the parking lot to meet, to get a selfie, to get an autograph, to whatever, to meet Dave Landau, a guy who, again, truly got his beginnings at that comedy club. And he's always been grateful to Pete and to Tony and to Nadal, but especially Pete. And that's the charm. So I, I know there's going to be a lot of questions going forward as to what's going to happen with the club. Are they going to keep it going? Are comics going to want to continue performing there? Because there was just something about that magnetism of being around Pete that is uh, it's going to be sorely missed. It's missed now, and it's going to be even more so when those comics walk in there and they're not getting yelled at. Fuck you, Jim Florentine. Fuck you, Chad Zumak on drugs. He gay. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Is There was a charm to it that we're going to miss. And, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I don't know how to describe it because it's a comedy club owner. So how can you not make jokes at the funeral, at least in, you know, to, to the person next to you, not like you're, we're not going up on stage and doing five minutes. This isn't like Milton Berle doing roast jokes uh, or uh, uh, what's, what's it? The Toastmaster general, <laughs> The, uh, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you just go, it's so sad and it's going to be even more sad when it really sets in, when you're a comic who goes there and you realize you look over, you see those glasses at the end of the bar and they're not being used at all. They'll never be used. The, the smudged up glasses and, uh, and not being yelled at and heckled on stage is the, ma could the, is the magic still there? Is, is the spirit of Pete still going to be there? Of course. But. Will other comics respond to it? Will the family decide, you know what, now the Pete's not here, there's no sense in keeping it going? And if they do sell it, does it go into the right or wrong hands? Could a rival comedy club owner want to buy it just to close it? Or does somebody want to keep it going and maybe put a couple of more bucks into it? Or uh, who knows? I don't know where we go going forward. There's a lot more questions that are going to happen, but it's not really the the appropriate time to talk about that. The appropriate time now is the it's the grieving process. It's the memorials for somebody who is a, a truly one of the more important people in my life in the last decade. You know, uh, somebody that was considered family. I mean, for me personally, I really had no coworkers at my wedding that, that I would have invited because I just say. I'm a, for me personally at work, and this is no matter whether it's my current job or previous jobs, I don't go there to make friends. I go there to work and get my paycheck every two weeks. If I make a friend along the way or two or five, okay, but that's not my goal. I know a lot of people go because it is a social atmosphere and they do like making friends with people at work. I'm just a guy, maybe it's an autism thing, who knows, Asperger's, that I like to go there and I don't know, do my work and go home, get my paycheck every two weeks. Um, so I didn't have a lot of people that uh, were coworkers 
that I invited to my wedding. In fact, I think I just had one coworker at the time. Everyone else was either a friend or family, but I considered Pete and Nadal family. Now, they had a comedy club to run that night, so they weren't able to make it, but they did get an invite from us. And I don't I didn't frivolously throw out invites to my wedding to just random people just because I wanted to cover a gambit. It's like, no, these are the people who are the most important to me at this time. And Pete and his family were some of the most important people of the last decade. As I've experienced my own growth as an individual, as I continue growing and hopefully improving as an individual, I feel that Pete was very helpful in that, you know. You take aside all the yelling and everything like that, and fuck you, Tony Mazur. There was a weird feeling of encouragement to that to continue. I mean, like he was—he was honest. He would say, like, if I didn't have a good set, he's like, "You got—you haven't been up in a while. You need to do more open mics. You need to do. You need to. You need to." Uh, I forgot what the the term he he would use, but he was like, I needed to be a little bit more seasoned. I needed to do more open mics. So I made sure that if I was doing a paid gig at the funny stop, I would do several open mics just to practice. I had to continue practicing. But then every so often I get a get a you do good. Good set or too dirty, too dirty. And a lot of my stuff was a little too dirty sometimes. But I wasn't I wasn't doing the open mic or I wasn't doing the amateur contest. So I could afford to get a little dirty. It wasn't so much cursing. It was just material that I would get do. Uh, but I would also understand the the basics of like, I'm not going to go with the 730 show, the first show and start talking about, you know, like uh, anal secretions or something like that or afterbirth. <laughs> I'd save that for the light late show and all the really filthy stuff. I do what I can to get some laughs. It's a whole process of comedy. And unfortunately, we're going to miss that and i don't know who's going to continue running the club if it's the family whatever the case is but i'm still going to go over there and i'm going to do it in, in honor of him i actually have struggled with this in the last week i'm like do i like does this harm me like do i not want to do comedy anymore now that pete somebody who i was close to is no longer there or is it going to embolden me to want to carry on that legacy and i'm kind of in the in the middle of that but i do feel like i i want to do it for the family and I wanted, I have some chops, not, I'm not a great comic by any stretch of the imagination or great podcast or anything, but there's always room for improvement. And the funny stuff gave me that opportunity to work on those chops. So I'm going to continue doing that. I'm going to continue supporting the family in any way I can and supporting, but because they're good people, that's what it comes down to right now is being a good person. As we have such a divided country and we go through this on social media it's good to know that there are people that are looking out for others that are um that looking out for everyone's well-being i mean yeah some people would get on pete's bad side and may get banned from the club because they did something that they shouldn't have done well well if that isn't the consequences of my own actions there so i i, I hope a lot of people are not going to be discouraged and not want to turn away. And, and it's like, yeah, I mean, I usually that's my weekend. But now that Pete's not here, I, I don't know. I, I just can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I hope we can continue and carry on that legacy because I, I truly believe that that's what Pete would have wanted. As many times as I heard, kept hearing him say, I'm going to sell the club. I'm going to sell the club. I don't believe that. I think. And a lot of us, and I've talked to a bunch, Don Jameson and Jim Florentine were two people I re, I've had recent conversations with. They said, that club is Pete. And morbid as it sounds, I think I talked to Florentine about this in uh, November and said something along the lines of Pete's going to own that comedy club until he dies. Oof. Didn't think it was going to be that soon, though, unfortunately. But uh, it is true. He ran the comedy club until he died. And uh, at 65 years old, it's a little too young. My dad just turned 67. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I like it's not so much that I, I feel for myself or other comics, but you again, I, I feel bad for the family. I mean, he has younger kids. I mean, like, I mean, not too young, but in their 20s, that's something that's really going to mess with you. And I don't know how they can handle it. I mean, if, if if Pete's your father, he's yelled at you since the day you were born. So <laughs> you're probably used to all the yelling and everything. But that's one thing that really every time you see the the surviving family members and especially the spouse. It just kind of really gets at you. Um, it's going to be tough. 
It's gonna be tough, tough going there. It was tough going to the luncheon after the funeral of seeing like knowing that I'm at this comedy club and knowing that I will never see Pete again. I mean, he's all over the place. And and like you you can't walk in there without feeling that spirit of him still being there. But it's also just not going to be the same. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I feel for the family and uh, I'll, I'll do anything I can to help them. And I know my wife and other comics in this area will do what we can to, to support them. But uh, yeah, and if that means we just go up there and tell more dick jokes, I guess that's that that I, I guess dick jokes will help carry on the legacy of Pete from the funny stop. I guess that's just how it is. But uh, we salute you, Pete. You were you were a great man. You were fun. You're a family guy. Uh, you were a proud man. You were you're a very you're you're proud of the comics. You're proud of the club. You were proud of your family. And you're you're a model for a lot of people who get discouraged on what you can and cannot do in our country. You are an immigrant who has a thick accent and you made something of yourself. And if he can do it, so can so many other people, whether you are a naturalized American citizen or you're someone abroad and you come into this country and we do have that land of opportunity. And Pete capitalized on that. Pete and his brother capitalized on what we have in the greatness of this country. And I hope other people will see that story, read about his story, understand his story, know that they can do it too. And that we do have such a great country and not, not trying to get too patriotic or nationalistic about it, but it is true. How do you have somebody that still, you know, for 40 plus years, he lived here with that thick accent, yet he can be a successful business owner. It worked out. It worked in his favor. And uh, so I, Godspeed to him and, and the family and, you know, hopefully Whenever, whenever we get to that next level, we get to that upper room, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I, I just know that uh, I, I just, I just want to tell Pete, look, I'm not going to bring five people. It's just me here. I, please, please, I don't want to bring five people. Is there a two drink minimum up in heaven? Is there a merch? Is there a merch table next to St. Peter right now? That's just what I want to know. Is there a QR code we can scan to get access to my podcast up there? Because how can you not make it? If a comedy club owner joke is dying and you can't make any kind of joke, I, I, I think that it might be what he wanted. Just to have some fun, just to be to be humorous. He loved comedy, he loved comedians, but he loved his family, and he was he's he's a model in so many different ways for a lot of people. And I hope we can all take what we saw from Pete and and, and carry it on in our own lives. All right. I want to thank everybody for listening to today's Check Your Brain podcast. I'll be back with you coming up next week. I've got a great guest on for you folks next week, uh, a little bit of a celebrity. So go check that out. And if you liked what you heard here on Rumble or YouTube or the podcast platforms, I am on Patreon at patreon.com slash Tony Mazur, T-O-N-Y-M-A-Z-U-R. I'll be back with another episode of the Check Your Brain podcast coming up next week. Thanks, everybody, for watching, listening and hopefully subscribing. Bye now.